On behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and joining us today is Robert Gordon from 21st Securities in New York City to talk about the FIFO stock basis ordering rules under the Senate bill. Bob, I think we kind of know what's going on here, and it's really very interesting that the Senate bill has statutory proposed language that would require a taxpayer to use the FIFO basis of accounting for the sale, the gift, and the charitable gift of securities. So, and basically, so what we're looking at is a whole new method of accounting because today, my understanding is that we can use the specific identification method and actually tell the government which group of shares we're choosing to use. And we do that by informing our broker that I want to sell the stock I bought on August 27th, 1962. And that's just that's how that works generally. So can you give us just a, a little bit of thought on the methods we have now, how FIFO is going to work, and what that means, and then we're going to come back and talk about some planning. Sure. Thanks, Bob. And, and just some quick background. So the specific lot identification of Section 1012 is used in a lot of different uh, strategies, um, as you had mentioned, and that this could really wreak havoc in terms of how uh, powerful any one of those particular strategies is. And um, I, I think that this was a last-ditch uh, effort from the government because there were actually proposals to try to mark-to-market everything and, and change the taxation of all securities, and somehow they uh, settled on this uh, first-in, first-out and taking away specific lot identification. And it's interesting, when the Obama administration proposed this in the past, it was to go to an average price, first First in, first out is uh, very arbitrary and um, is probably more unfair than average. So maybe that's the way it would go. Also, politically, when this was announced, um, specific lot identification is used very much by mutual funds and ETFs. So uh, when they get rid of their stocks in their portfolios and um, the Investment Company Institute screamed on behalf of mutual funds and actually got themselves exempted from this rule, uh, which means that the uh, the loudest voice has been silenced, and therefore it really scares me that this is going to wind up getting passed. The proposal is not in the House bill at all. Uh, it is only in the Senate bill, but the people that were making the most noise about it have um, have been mollified. And it could have some impact, and uh, we're not going to have a lot of time between now and the end of 2017 um, to make some adjustments, so it's important to start thinking about this stuff now. Um, I think, as you had mentioned, Bob, one of the biggest issues is so when you uh, give shares to charity, um, one of the benefits is that you get a deduction for the fair market value, let's say, of the stock on the day you give it, but also you're forgiven any capital gains taxes if there would have been any. So if you have a stock that's, that you've bought uh, over time at $10, $20, $30, and it's now trading at 65 you uh, donate it at 65 you get a $65 deduction, uh, but then what you would do is identify that the shares you were giving were the ones that happened to be at the lowest basis so that you get those out of your portfolio, uh, and the largest amount of capital gains would be uh, forgiven. So if you have a variety of uh, shares that were purchased over different times at different prices, uh, it would behoove you to look at exactly what, how much difference there is between the prices and what your goals are. Because the exact opposite is the case if you were going to be selling any time in the near future, let's say 2018, um, 
right now when you sell, you could say, oh, I'm selling at 65, but I'm going to deliver the shares I bought at 50 um, and only have a $15 gain. Um, what the government would force you to do in FIFO is to say, no, it's the ones you bought at 10 and make you have a $55 gain. So um, what you want to do when you're selling shares is identify your highest cost basis shares to keep the tax as low as possible. And um, I might point out that selling this year would have a slightly extra benefit to someone in a high-tax state like New York or whatever, because at least for me, I look at it that right now my state taxes cost me 60 cents on the dollar. Um, it looks to me like they're certainly going to pass if there's not going to be any state and local income tax deductions. And what that means is my state tax is going up by 66%. So uh, selling it this year, you would have a, a considerably less state tax uh, on an after-tax basis than it would cost next year. So um, someone that had a variety of prices in their lots was going to sell over the next year or two. Uh, I think accelerating some of those sales into this year would make an awful lot of sense, uh, both from the uh, FIFO standpoint and also as it relates to the state taxes. So if I knew I was going to need 200000 to live on in 18 and 200000 to live on in 19, I would probably look to do two things. One, or there's two reasons I'd want to sell early. One is to grab the highest basis possible using specific identification. And secondly, I could also, if I was fast on my feet and I paid my, say, New York or California taxes in December of 18, excuse me, December of 17, I'd be able to deduct those two unless I'm in the AMT. So uh, there's plenty of reason to look at that. So if I'm already in the 23.8% bracket, I guess it really doesn't matter what year I sell in, except I, I'd be able to better choose my basis. So, Bob, I want to make sure I get this. If I started to work for a company in 1982 and I've worked my way up, uh, I'm now an officer, I have 50 different tranches with all kinds of different basises, um, today, I can pick and choose which basis I want to do something with. Beginning January 1st, I probably lose that right, and I'm going to be stuck with – I'm going to be deemed to sell the ones that I bought first, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, and if things just go straight up over time, we could assume that the first ones you bought have the lowest basis, but that isn't the way the stock market works. Exactly. Now, what I'm able to do, though, is – some people have suggested that I could set up five different brokerage accounts at five different brokers and that this would never – you could hide behind that. And I just don't think legally you're going to be able to do that. Have you thought about that? Well, I, I think what's interesting about that is that it pretty much makes it impossible for a broker to give you 1099 information for capital gain because how are they supposed to know what your first lot is and where is it? Um, the reporting now – for capital gains is somewhat limited, but it costs the brokers an awful lot of money to put it together. But so I, I don't I don't think anybody could build a system that would know uh, what your first lot was and where you bought it. So I think the whole 1099 reporting of capital gains becomes uh, nonsense. So let's just let's go into your world for a moment. Is there anything I can do with options, with collars, with variable forwards? to identify a particular lot, almost like a married put concept, so that I can marry my highest basis securities up to a covered call 
and be deemed to sell those in 2018, even though we have these FIFO rules? I, I, I see nothing in the statute that would allow that, but I, I want to know if you've thought about that at all. No, I, I think the only thing that is even close to that was there are things called identified straddles. Um, and maybe by uh, and when you're identifying a straddle, you're d d saying here's a derivative and here's a cash instrument, and these two things are all part of the same position of this straddle. Uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to override the FIFO part of it. But um, I guess there are parts of the code where you are able to wall it off that way. Um, the married puts sort of the same kind of thing. But I don't know that um, just because you're identifying the put and the stock as being uh, being married, that uh, somehow FIFO is not going to come into play if, um, when that put is exercised or uh, the stock is sold after 13 months. Now, Bob, you had mentioned uh, that you were giving some thought about ways to work around this um, where you would be able to wall off each lot in its own sort of entity. And then when you sell the stock from that entity, it'll be quite clear which lot it is. So we go back to actually having uh, specific lot identification, but instead it would be sort of specific entity uh, sales. Is it, can you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. There are three basic pillars of planning here. The ones you went through, which we would identify as selling before year end, which would include harvesting losses in selling high basis securities. That's kind of the first threshold. The second threshold would be to focus on charitable gifts before the end of the year, including outright gifts, gifts to donor-advised funds or private foundations, and gifts to a CRT or a non-grantor CLAT. Now, what you're able to do when, when you go, for example, if I transferred my shares into a non-grantor CLAT, I could potentially line up very low basis shares with the CLAT, and that would serve as a way to isolate and rearrange. And we'll talk, we'll come back to isolate and rearrange. Now, so a, a grant, a grantor trust is one that's simply the alter ego of the grantor, and you're not going to get around the ordering rules, okay? Because I think anything in a grantor trust is going to have to go into this blender, if you will, when we figure out what people have, what, what is the order. So if I had 10 tranches on my own and 10 tranches in grantor trusts, I'd have 20 tranches for this rule and you'd, you'd have to line them up. So I think very important for stocks that exist in the real world where the, they go up and they go down, very volatile stocks. General Electric might have been a great example of that where your new basis could be much slower than your older basis. What, what you're going to want to identify there then is making sure you're making your charitable gifts out of your lowest basis stock. And if I had 10 tranches and tranche one, the oldest, is not my lowest basis, today I can still use specific identification. Now, let's get to the, the complicated thing. Your, your client went to work 35 years ago. She's had a brilliant career and she has 35 different tranches from her ISO and NSO exercises. Now, if that's the case, what can she do? She might be able to, and this, this is not certain, she might be able to gift to her spouse and file separate. She may be able to gift 
to her children if they're over age 24 and not subject to the kitty tax. Let them sell later if that makes sense. Because when you gift it to someone, they uh, take your basis as well. They take your basis, exactly. That, that's exactly right. And then now the more interesting thing is with very adroit drafting on, the beha- on behalf of her lawyers, um, she may be able to make a gift to a trust for her husband and with the right drafting, you can actually set that up to be a non-grantor trust. So that new vehicle, if you will, the new entity, the trust for her husband, would be a separate legal entity, and you would not be subject to these FIFO rules. Now, in a more complicated world, she could make gifts to a trust for her children. Same thing. We could we could isolate and rearrange that. Now, I think the best possibility of isolating and rearranging is probably if you build enough true substance into it, and it's not just a subterfuge, she creates a partnership where her children put a little bit of money into the partnership. Say they put in $5,000 each, and she puts in $985,000 worth of stock. Now, very complicated, but at that point in time, you have a legitimate new legal entity. And so if we moved higher basis stock in there or lower basis stock, whatever made the most sense, we could isolate some of that. Now, I think what most people will do is they will work hard to transfer the lowest basis stock um, out of their, somebody in their 60s would probably want to isolate the lowest basis stock. And somebody a little bit older uh, may look at that differently. But I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here. And it's going to be complicated. But the the moral of the story is a lot of people that have, you know, they their parents owned a little local bank. That local bank's been acquired five times, and now they have $10 million worth of J.P. Morgan or Bank of America. Um, they're going to have all kinds of different tranches. And unless they do something t- between now and the end of the year, um, they're going to end up with a bad result when they go to sell in the future. Right. This is this is forcing everybody into uh, an arbitrary method of doing it, which can be very distortive. Um, if it was the average cost basis, you would think it's certainly not going to be as attractive as specific lot identification, but wouldn't necessarily do the same damage that FIFO could do uh, by being so arbitrary. But who knows if that's necessarily where they're going. And, you know, one of the things I would mention just structurally, um, the uh, people who do loss harvesting uh, use uh, specific lot identification very much to uh, juice up the loss harvesting. And if you look into what Betterment and Wealthfront, who are robo-advisors that do loss harvesting, do, they're just switching back and forth to different funds and playing specific lot identification. So on a going forward basis, I would assume uh, much less uh, losses actually being harvested um, if this kicked in. I think that's very true because your your higher basis ones where you have losses are always going to be the last ones you put into your portfolio generally. And now it's one thing if I have a hundred different stocks in a very balanced portfolio and they're all one position stocks, then we would continue to loss harvest. But totally different beast if I have six stocks and they're all, you know, where I have 10 tranches of each. So that's going to loss harvesting will end for people in that type of situation. So, 
Right. Well, and, and the people who do loss harvesting as a business, parametric, imperial, betterment, wealthfront, whoever it is, they're going to be producing less losses than they would have if the loss stayed as it is. Exactly. Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground today, Bob, and your, your insight's been invaluable. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler with Bob Gordon from 21st Securities in New York City. Thank you for joining us today.